This is the second week we've been in these psalms. Uh, these are considered the psalms of ascents. If you look there in uh, verse 1, it says, My help comes from the Lord. That is the title that's been given to this psalm. We'll see that that's a little different than what we're going to uh, entitle it, but that's okay. A song of ascents. And we uh, were talking about this last week, that this was pretty much a road trip mix, and that's the reason why we've called our time together in the Psalm of Ascents a road trip mix, because last week we saw the psalmist in Psalm 120, he was starting his journey, and one of the things he was doing is he was looking out over the landscape, and he was thinking about where he had to go to worship. On the, uh, on the, on the mountain of Jerusalem, there is where God had decided that his physical presence would dwell. And he was saying things like, I feel as though I, I, I dwell in, in, in Meshach and, and in Kedar. And we talked about those places and how it not only related to physical locations, but possibly spiritual ailments that were going on and how he felt in his spirit, but how regardless of those things and the lies that were being, uh, he was being assaulted with in Psalm 120, he had still set his face towards Jerusalem. He had still centered his mind on his God and determined that he would go and he would worship. Well, this psalmist began his journey to the Temple Mount. We know that there are physical factors involved, things that we might not quite experience unless, you know, it might be a cold winter's day and it's minus 38 and we've got a foot of snow on the ground. And then we know there are some physical things going on that might keep us from gathering ourselves together. But still it doesn't, does it? I know uh, I've looked back and I've thought, you know, some of our, our highest attended Sundays were some of those, those Sundays where physical factors were involved, but we still all made it and it was a good time. Now, there are also emotional factors, right? We talked about those emotions that might get in our way. There are also spiritual factors. Sometimes we come to worship and we just don't feel like worshiping. And so we have to wrestle through those things and we have to remind ourselves we talked about how sometimes we might need to take ourselves, our soul, by the lapels and draw it near and just, just like we would a child that's acting up, right? Where we just sort of grab them near. Sometimes we don't have to get loud. It's the whisper that can strike fear into a child, right? You better not act up, right? And so sometimes we have to take our soul and draw it near and say, listen, remember what you're here to do. You're here to worship. Think of the one you worship. And so we sing and we remind each other of this God that we worship this morning. This one who has been since ages past and will be forever. And not only that, but he has super condescended and he has made himself like us in every way, yet without sin. And he, is, he has come near that we might this morning draw near. And so just as he had physically manifested himself in Jerusalem and he had come near these, these pilgrims, these that are singing these psalms of ascent are setting their eyes and setting their minds to this core truth and they are allowing it to drive them that they can be near the Lord. As we strive towards our heavenly Jerusalem, we need to keep these things in mind. 
God inspired these psalms. It's unlike any other book. We talked about that last week as well. It's unlike any other book. That is, it is, um, they are songs that are inspired by God to be sung back to God. And this psalm was for them, but it's also for us. It's a famous one. I'm sure you could probably uh, walk around in your own home or somebody's home and look around at some of the things on the wall and maybe even find some of the lines that we're going to read today. Maybe even that first one. It's a very, very famous line. Now, as they would go on this journey, there would be someone in the front of this caravan because you might start out on your own but as you enter into the highway you merge onto this highway and you see other fellow believers and they're going up and then there's someone that's sort of designated to be the song leader he's called the cantor and he would start and he would say well you know we're getting weary I lift my eyes up to the hills let Israel say and then they will sing the song together they would, they would all join in just as Josh began, and he says, uh, all creatures of our God and King, let's sing together. That's the same thing. They had a song leader, and they would go, and they would, they would worship together, and they would look up toward the journey to the Jerusalem hills, this spectacle of beauty, and he would behold that mountain out in front of him, but, but as in the journey his eyes got a little tired it would go from that mountain to the next mountain to the next mountain to the next mountain and he would see wow I've, I've got quite a few before I get there and, and and within those mountains there are caves and within those caves there are robbers how are we to get there and not only that but my heart faints within me do I really want to do this this year do I really want to do this this month? I've got so much going on at home. Do I really want to do this? So spirit starts to faint. Rugged and difficult time. But the pilgrims would sing and remind themselves of the greatness of the omnipotent creator. The one who created those hills. He's the same God that is with them. That they are going to worship. To meet with. And they would be reminded, He is keeping us. He is our keeper. So if we were just to, to just put another label right above Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord, maybe we should just say, the Lord is our keeper. So we're going to pray, and we're going to see this keeping God. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, your inspired, inerrant, infallible word and we know that you have revealed yourself here to us. Father, we look to so many things. We look to our own strength. We look to the strength of our friends, of our family. And Father, we look to the strength of our bank account. We look to the strength of our job. But Lord, we look to the strength of so many things that do not promise to keep us. But you, O oh Lord, have promised to keep us. You are a covenant-keeping God, and you are our keeper, and we look to you. We praise you this morning because we can praise you this morning, that we've been brought from death to life. You've transferred us from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light. You are worthy of all of our worship and our praise, and so as we look this morning, we worship you in our hearing of your word. We trust you we trust your word. 
Lord, speak to us this morning. May we be reminded that you are our salvation. You are our salvation. Thank you that you are a saving God and that you would save a people such as us. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the identity of our helper and our keeper. Let's look at verse 1. The identity of our helper. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now I want to tell you as we look at these psalms, as sometimes can be um, a danger with looking at psalms because they're so relatable is to misapply psalms. Robert Godfrey describes this by stating, in applying this psalm, we must not allegorize these dangers by asking questions like, hmm, what are the spiritual mountains we need to cross? But isn't that something that we can, we can fall into the temptation to do? But we must not allegorize them. What are the spiritual mountains we need to cross? Rather, we need simply to remember as Christian pilgrims, we face a multiplicity of physical and spiritual dangers. We do. Many problems we face, and there are fixes that we might be uh, tempted to try. We might say, you tired this morning? Suck it up. You emotionally distraught? Get over it. You've got problems? i got problems too. Fix yourself. That's what we might be tempted to do. But most of our instruction, most of the instruction like that, we can kind of smile and nod. And the reason why is because we've all heard it. In fact, it's usually left our mouth. Sometimes we look in the mirror and say the very same thing. Suck it up. Fix it. You got to do this today. Let's do it. We can do it. You're enough. What a lie. What a lie. And there are Christians out there writing blogs and getting famous. And their main message is, you're enough. It's garbage. You're not enough. That's what this entire book is telling us. You are not enough. We have to be okay with that. That is truth. We are not enough. But we've been fed this. To be extremely independent you don't need anybody. You don't need anything. That's not true. And we must not forget how truly dependent we really are and how truly dependent we need to be. Interestingly enough, when we realize how dependent we are, there's some temptation that comes along with it. Because then we start to rely on other things. We start to get dependent on the things that we can see, the things that are near to us, the things that we've been told that we can trust in. That's a danger. So that's what the psalmist starts out with. Look, I, I'm dependent. That's a good place to start. I'm dependent. So from where does my help come from? That's how he starts. Who is going to help me in my hour of trial? Who's going to help me in my hour of need? Who's going to help me day by day in every passing hour? Who's going to help? The Beatles got by with a little help from their friends. That's what they sang. Bill Withers said, lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Jackson 5 said, I'll be there. 
Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. Marvin Gaye said, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, baby. A lot of promises out there. They're really nice sentiments, but let's be honest. None are possible. None are eternally possible. We are finite. Where's little Mikey right now when I need him? He's dead. He went the way of the world. Where are certain people? And so we, we tend to rely on people, and we re- tend to rely on things to think that they can help us through. They can all, that they'll always be there. Now, it is true that we've been given each other. We've been given community. God has placed his spirit in us, and he's told us to gather around each other and encourage one another. Be the other pilgrim. Be the faithful in someone else's life. And that's okay. We can trust that. But here's what a faithful pilgrim does. A faithful pilgrim doesn't say, I got your back. Lean on me. And then keep leaning on me and keep leaning on me and, and, and become a codependent and leech off of me for the rest of your life. It's not what a faithful pilgrim does. A faithful pilgrim goes, I'm going to help you through this tough time. But here's what I'm going to continually do. I'm going to grab your chin. I'm going to lift your Lift your gaze to heaven. I'm going to constantly point you to Scripture. I'm going to point you to the Lord because I'm not always going to be able to be here for you for whatever reason. And so we're saying, trust Him. Trust in the Lord. You might need help. Where does your help come? Our help is found in the name of the Lord. Our help is found in the Lord. So let us look to Him. Now, there might come a time on the journey where I'm going to need that help as well. I'm going to need a faithful pilgrim to to come alongside of me and go, what are you doing? Look, isn't he great? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he marvelous? Remember these things. Remember these truths. So we're going to need that. But let us not think that it just relies on human relationships or it relies on things. Our help comes from the Lord. And we have to take a good, honest look at this aspect. Because even though he's surrounded by some companions going up on this mountain, they could still be overwhelmed by foes. There could be a small militia hiding out in one of these caves, ready to take down all these pilgrims. But the psalmist is a realist. He doesn't say, I lift my eyes to the hills, and I've done this countless times. I did this uh, three times last year. I did this three times the year before. I did this three times the year before. Every time the Lord has asked, I've gone up to Jerusalem. I've done this. uh, Well-marked trail. I've got nothing to worry about. That's that's foolish. That's foolish thinking. Um, He doesn't say, you know, all I need is me and then my friends. I know when I go around that corner, my friends are going to be with me. We'll be fine. All I need is me, my friends, and if not them, then my trusty dog, Jake. We can make it. No, that's not what he says. He confesses, as should we. I can praise God for all the people that he's put in my life to help. I can praise God for the resources that he's given to help. But I know that those things are finite, rusting, Moth is destroying, thieves are taking, the enemy is taking, death is taking. I know 
that I have to be reminded constantly, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Those mountains that are in the way, yeah, there are mountains in the way. But before the mountains were brought forth, the one who created them, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You created them, and you created me, and I, I'm worth more than those mountains. I'm worth more than that little sparrow that's trying to pick up seed right now, but he looks really healthy. I, I'm worth more. My help comes from the Lord, and I can make it because of who he is and what he has done. This psalm, this psalm is really like a catechism. It's like a catechism. It's a catechism question. Do you see the question? It's a question and an answer. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We could put that in the catechism. That's a catechism question. Now, notice, my help comes from the what? Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is an English way to show us once again, this is the covenant name of the Lord. It was so precious to them, they wouldn't even utter it. It's the unutterable name. And if we remember when God gave this name, when he revealed this name, it was in a really tough time. The context was is Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is on the backside of a mountain keeping sheep. Well, why isn't he in Egypt? Well, because he killed uh, a man and he's on the run. But he's God's man. So he's on the backside of this mountain keeping sheep for his father-in-law. And the next thing you know, one of them gets away and he sees a bush that's burning but it's not being consumed. And then he hears his name a couple times from this bush. Moses, Moses. Here I am, Lord. Who are you? They're going to want to know a name. Tell me your name. I am that I am. And when those letters are rearranged, it is Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Or we, we don't know if it's Yahweh, but we believe that that's what it is. The Germans would change it, make it Jehovah. But we can simply say, Lord, Lord, he is Lord. And he showed it when he was risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, as Isaiah 43 says. And then uh, Philippians 2, Jesus is Lord. We hold fast to Christ he is our God and He is our helper. He said He would never leave us and He would never forsake us. He is our helper. Furthermore, we're, we're given even more to hang our hat on. He is maker of heaven and earth. All you got to do is look around. Look up, look down, look left, look right. He's the maker. He is the maker. The one who breathes out stars, Scripture tells us, tells the oceans where to stop, can make the sun stand still, on and on. He's the only worthy sovereign. This is one of the reasons why doctrine is so important, and in particular, the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Because if you know who God is, and you know how sovereign he is, that he's got everything in his hands. That's why we teach our children that song. If we could just 
believe it when we're adults. <laughs> He's got the whole world in his hands. Brother and sister, mother and father. He's got us. And Spurgeon was so enamored with the sovereignty of God and so dependent on it as we should be that he would say that, that even the tiniest speck in a dust moat, you know what a dust moat is? Like in the morning when you're real sleepy and then you see the sun coming through, but you also see how dirty your house is because there's all that dust in the air. You know what I'm talking about? And then you know, all those little floaties. Spurgeon was saying, yeah, not even, there's not even one of those little things that God is not in sovereign control of. There's no, I believe it was Sproul who said, there's no rogue molecule in all the earth. And if there was, we'd be in real trouble. But there's no rogue molecule. He is in control. And, and that promise of him being in control has now been imparted to his people to hold on to, to hold fast to. Remember this affirmation that the prophet Isaiah was, was given by the Lord in chapter 40, verse 28 of chapter 40 of Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary or faint. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How related that is to this psalm. It's as if they're singing that and reminding themselves of what God has already told them through His Word. Now, ultimately, whether we look to self or whether we look to our circumstances, none of these things can be the source of our help and security. The only source, the psalmist says, is in the covenant-keeping God. Verse 2 is also found in Psalm 124, verse 8. So if you'll let your your uh, eyes go over to the next page. You'll see Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. It, it, could also, it could almost form an inclusio to where everything from here to that verse is sort of combined and connected. And we'll see that in the weeks to come. It, the truth was, is so forceful and it, so, it was in, so impressed upon Calvin that he would use it every time he gathered together. It was his call for worship. They began worship by saying, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What a reminder every time to come to worship. But it seems here that it's even more personal for the psalmist. He states, my help is in the Lord. Now, there's a more corporate aspect in Psalm 124, but I want you to notice we even did that this morning as we sang. The Lord is my salvation. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. The Lord is our salvation. So we, we had that personal aspect even in our worship this morning, and then we had that corporate aspect where we sung both, and we reminded one another, He's mine, but He's yours, and He's ours. And that's sort of what's going on. We're going to see that, that, that 
kind of back and forth in these psalms as they sing. They're singing the same sorts of things, these same sorts of truths. He's mine, he's yours, he's ours. We are his people. But I wonder, could we truly make the same confession this morning and actually believe it? See, it's the actually believing it and living as though we believe it. That's where the rub comes. We have to remind ourselves of God's providence. And we have to help one another be reminded of God's providence. He is your help. He will always be there. I almost just quoted the next line because it was, it's so related. We have to remind ourselves of the providence. And the way that we do that together is we sing some hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs together. That's what we've been told to do. And, and at times we're going to come in here and we're not going to feel like singing because so many things are going on. But we're going to hear the person behind us sing the words of a song and they're going to hear, hit our ear and they're going to remind us they're right. That is truth. I know that my God is with me. I know that he's sovereign. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. It's a comfort to me to be reminded. And so... Now in verses 3 through 8, we see this core truth come blazing through. He is our helper but in one sense, but in the next, he is our keeper, our keeper. If you'll let your eyes go down through these verses, you'll see we have keep, keeps, keeper six times. We got six more verses. We got keep, keeps, keeper six times. The Lord is our keeper. Look at verses 3 and 4 in particular. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The first two verses here uh, are a personal reminder, but then the, the language changes a little bit. No longer me or my, but you and yours. It's as if the other pilgrims now encourage each other along the way. Your God. He's your keeper. Not just mine, yours. Isn't that exciting? It should help us to continue on our way. He will not let your foot be moved. Take heart. He will not let your foot be moved. Yes, the mountains and the trails are treacherous, but don't fear. Man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's no misstep. You don't have to go searching for the will of God. You're his. He keeps you. Remember that. Let's go. Let's go. We have so much to, to, to praise Him for. Let us go and praise Him. It's also quite interesting here that we would see this reminder of who God is and, and be reminded of who we are not and how we are so dependent upon Him when it says He doesn't slumber or sleep. He doesn't even slumber or sleep. And, and what a precious promise that is because He's always available. You might think everybody else is sleeping. My friends, I I've thought I got by with a little help from my friends, but it keeps going to voicemail. Now, granted, it's 3.30 in the morning, but I need help. Who can I call? The Lord says, call me. I'm not asleep. I don't ever slumber or sleep. Right now, on the other side of the earth, we've got, we've got brothers and sisters who are going through a really, really tough time, being persecuted, their lives are at stake. And even now, in the midst of their trial, in the middle of the night, what can they do? Call out. 
They can call out to the Lord. He keeps them. He keeps them, even now. But again, sleep is a reminder we're not like God. We're not like God. The purpose of sleep, by very nature, is a manifestation of our dependence upon Him. It's a manifestation of our dependence. We're dependent. How vulnerable are we when we lay down and close our eyes every night? Some of us more vulnerable than others, am I right? Just dead. (laughs) Out. (laughs) Some of us are like, bing. (laughs) What was that? Oh, just a mosquito. But it is. It reminds us of how vulnerable we really are, how frail and fragile we are, and how dependent we are on the one who always keeps us who's always standing guard, who is never sleeping or slumbering, always alert. It's also a key difference between the one true God and the concept of little g-gods in all the other nations. In fact, we see it with Elijah on Mount Carmel when he challenges the prophets of Baal. You remember? He challenges the prophets of Baal. He says, Ahab, bring all the prophets of Baal. We're going we're gonna to have a showdown. Okay, you have them prepare an altar. They can slice up a bull. They'll put it on that. They'll cry out to their God, and I'll sit back and watch for a while. But the first God that's called upon and sends fire down from heaven will know he is God. Deal? All right, deal. So that's what they did. And so they ran around. They began to shout. They cut themselves. They did all sorts of things. And Elijah just kicked back watching the whole thing as getting a little amused at it. So what does he tell him? Shout louder. Maybe he's asleep. That's what he says. And, and they are thinking, you know, he might be right. Because Baal does sleep. Let's shout louder. <laughs> so they shout louder. He goes, maybe he's uh, taking a trip. You know, he's not omniscient, Baal. He's got, he can only be in one place at one time, so maybe he's taking a trip. Sure, how are you going to get him now, huh? They'd sit back and watch him, and they'd still do foolish things. And even once he goes, you know what? Maybe you just need to give him a minute. He's probably in the bathroom, or excuse me, washroom. Maybe he's relieving himself. That's what he says. He's just kind of poking fun. Because God even pokes fun at idolatry. God says it's, it's senseless. It's silly. And then all it takes is... is <laughs> Elijah going, all right, calm down, everyone. Lord God, let it be known today that you are God. Answer me and show this people. And here comes the fire. Burns up everything. Burns up everything. The the sacrifice, the altar is scorched to high heaven, and all the water is licked up. And everyone there on their face and they said the Lord he is God because he is he doesn't slumber or sleep this morning the same God is the same God we call to and he's not busy your your lives are not so trivial that he doesn't care he who did not spare his own son do you not think he will not give us all things including His time, his ear, his arm, he will. He will. Let us go to him. 
The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. His eye is on the sparrow, one hymn would say. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Verse 5 and 6, look, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is a shade on your right hand. The, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. First line of this verse is the center point, the, the thrust of the entire song, the Lord is your keeper. And I think the imagery of keeping and how it fits into Scripture is so unique that God has chosen for himself a people. It's throughout the scriptures. We would be, it would be silly not to, to, to acknowledge it, that he has drawn for himself a people. He has even said as a conquering general in Titus that he goes through, he has won and he goes through and he chooses certain ones to be a part of his store. And, and what does he do? Just as when we're children, I mean, some of us do it now, but I can think of when we're, we're children and there's something that, that's precious to us. Maybe it's something that, um, maybe it's a seashell we found on our first trip to the beach, right? So what do we do? We take it and nobody's going to pry that out of our hands. Brother and sister try, sock to the nose, right? I, I'm putting it in my keepsake box. Maybe some of you had that. Um, maybe you found a, a, like a mint rookie hockey card as a kid and you're like, Oh, I've got to keep this safe. You put it on a little sleeve, and then you put that sleeve somewhere, and then you put it in a box, and you take that little box, and you lock it, because nobody's going to get it. They're going to have to take the whole box if they want it. And then they're going to have to fight me to take the whole box. See, it's different little things can become so important for us. And God, through this psalm, is going, understand this day. You are so important to me. I have sealed you. Later in scripture, he would say, no one can snatch you from my hands. Almighty, we sang it, almighty God says, nobody's going to take you. You are so precious to me. See, e even in, in some of the, the circles where, where we associate, we can get this idea that, that, that it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with us. It's true, salvation, we didn't do anything to contribute to our salvation, but we can know this. God glorifies himself by showing how precious you are. He sent his only begotten son. He shed his precious blood for you. You are precious. We are precious in his sight. And so we can trust he's not going to let anything happen. He's going to keep us. He's also our shade. Our shade. This is another way of saying he protects us. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. It's an interesting phraseology. A lot of physical things going on here. But coming from uh, me, coming from the Mid-South region of the United States, it gets hot. Like crazy hot. Um, on a really humid day, getting in the shade doesn't do anything. Doesn't do anything, for the most part. Um, but not like here. I found that here, the dry climate lends itself to, it could be really, really warm in the sun, like hot. And then you get in the shade, and it cools off dramatically. It's like, wow, that was really nice. 
And we, we experience that. And we're thinking, man, the sun is so hot. So in, in dry, arid climates like that, like in the one in which the pilgrims here in Psalm 121, <clears throat> they're traveling, when they sing shade, they know. They know. That's, that's a lot of relief. He is a shade for us. And then, then we get to this line about the moon. Well, what about the moon? It's not like that. It's not like I'm standing out in the yard doing something in the middle of the night, and I think, wow, that moon. And I just, I need to get out of the moon, you know? I need some water because the moon is really bright tonight. We don't. So what is that about? You know, the only thing that I can think is that, you know, there's a reason why they call it lunacy. There's a reason why they call it lunacy. There's something, something going on uh, with the way that the Lord has created all things. And, and then there's the moon, and there's this effect of the moon. I mean, the, the moon even has effect on the oceans, right? Tides roll in, tides, t- t- excuse me, tides roll out, tides come in, different things like that. There's a pull there. But it, it might not just be an old wives' tale, but uh, any, whatever we decide <laughs> for that, the sun, the moon, the Lord protects us from the elements of the world, from this broken world. And not only that, but the elemental spirits of the world. He protects us. The Lord is with us. There's power in the name of Christ Jesus, even in the elemental spirits of the world. Let's look at the last two, two verses here. Verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What a precious promise that we have. The Lord is the Lord of the pilgrim and his pilgrim children. And just as we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the Lord says, that's my plan. <laughs> that's my purpose. This doesn't mean that we're never going to experience trials hardships, difficulty, doesn't mean that we won't sometimes come face to face with evil and, 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 and be affected by it. Just like Psalm 23 doesn't tell us that we won't go through the valley of the shadow of death even though he's our good shepherd. We will go through the valley. We will have enemies. We will experience really tough things. But it's in those moments that the language shifts from he is my shepherd. He is my shepherd too. You are my shepherd. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. It just tells us when we go through those things, he will be with us. He will keep your life. It's a similar thing to, to what Jesus would tell his disciples to assure them, just as we've already mentioned, are you not greater than sparrows? Are you not greater than lilies? Do you not have great worth to the Lord? Yes, you do. You are his. One commentator sums this up well, stating we have to remember keeping in this context is not passive. It means that the Lord is actively guarding us. He always stands guard over us to protect them from every danger. The protection of the Lord is constant and never falters, never fails, never interrupted. The Lord is not a human guard who may fall asleep on his post and fail in his duty. The Lord keeps us. 
The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in, he says, from this time forth and forevermore. Remember, this is poetry. It's just a poetic way of saying the Lord is in control of your life at all times. Some of you may need to hear that again because I know that some of you might think, you know, everything is spinning out of control right now. Might be out of control for you, but good thing you're not driving. Lord is. He's got you. And he's taking you exactly where he wants you to be. He's not taking the route that you might want him to take. But that's because his ways are higher than yours. His ways are higher than yours. He knows best. And most of the time, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We look back and we go, I would have never chosen that. But God, thank you for taking me through that. I learned so much. I learned so much. I learned so much about you. I was nearer to you in that trial than ever had I not gone through it. I learned so much about you. God, thank you for taking me that way, even though I kicked and screamed most of the way. <laughs> that's, that's the reason why sometimes we come in here and we, we remind one another, clouds may howl and or storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good for thee. We've all rejected the Lord in one way or the other. Though many of us in this room can say, I've experienced the Lord and I know that I'm precious to him. There was a time where we were not precious to him. We weren't. Born in sin and then sinner. Born in Adam and then showed ourselves to be in Adam. By sinning. And by our sin, whether we intended it or not, we were at enmity with God. There was enmity, there was strife, and there was need of reconciliation. We have all rejected the Lord, and we have all gone our own way like sheep that go astray. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God, of the one true and only holy God. And for that rebellion for that sin, because he is a just judge, he judge, judges rightly, and we all earn for ourselves death. For the wages of sin is death. But in order to be spared from that wrath and further wrath of God for our disobedience, the Lord would act. He would send his one and only son. He would clothe himself in flesh and he would come. Live a perfect life. Doing every possible thing to meet the standard of God. Living for his glory in every way. And then he would be crucified. And in his death, he would take the penalty for those who would have faith in him. And then the Lord would validate all of this by raising him from the grave. Raising him from the dead. It's one of the most attested to facts in all of human history. And scripture tells us if we will believe in what God has done, we can experience the credit of Christ's life for our life. Take that this morning. His death can be a payment for all of our wrong, for our penalty. 
And then we can trust in this, as we've seen this morning. He will keep us and never let us go. Doesn't matter what we do. He will keep us and never let us go. He will shelter us in the everlasting arms. Christian, that is our hope this day. We're held in the hollow of the hands that have nail prints. He holds us. Let us remember he shed his own blood for our souls. We're precious to him. He will keep us. And he's worthy of lives lived as though that truth is evident in us.